Greetings, everybody, um, and uh, thank you for having me as one of your guest preachers this summer while Paul Rock is on sabbatical. Um, I have loved serving as the assistant curator of the Open Table community alongside Nick Pickrell here at Second Pres. Um, we are one of the Presbyterian Church USA's new 1001 new worshiping communities, and you are the community who made that happen. So from the bottom of my heart, thank you so much. There are a lot of exciting things happening there. Um, hospitality is being shown, stories are being told, and strangers are becoming hosts, which I think is a sign that the gospel is um, being embodied. So thank you for that. I um, also want to say thank you to friends who are visiting from Country Club Congregational United Church of Christ, where I'm a member, um, and where I'm in the process of ordination. It's um, a really great gift to share this time of worship with you, and um, also with my parents and my in-laws and my husband who are here with me today. I also want to say a word about those who aren't here. You have a wooden plaque downstairs that lists the names of people who gave their lives while in military service. These and many other names are not to be forgotten on Memorial Day or any other time. And you also had one of your own who passed away just this week. I'm so sorry about that. Would you take a moment of silence with me? After which I'll close with a prayer from the Lakota tradition. God of surprises, you call us from fear to faithfulness, from the narrowness of our traditions to new ways of being church, from the smallness of our horizons to the bigness of your vision, from privilege and protocol to partnership and pilgrimage, from isolation and insularity to inclusive community. Clear the way in us, your people, that we might all know the beauty and power and danger of the gospel. Amen. The passage of scripture we're listening to and reading together today is Psalm 121. So since we're talking about pilgrimage, I'm inviting you to take a little journey with me um, through this passage. We won't walk around the sanctuary, but um, similar. Um, hopefully, and hopefully there would be no wandering in the desert for 40 years either. Um, so hear the word from Psalm 121. I raise my eyes toward the mountains. Where will my help come from? My help comes from God, the maker of heaven and earth. God won't let your foot slip. Your protector won't fall asleep on the job. No. Israel's protector never sleeps or rests. God is your protector. God is your shade right beside you. The sun won't strike you during the day, neither will the moon at night. God will protect you from all evil. God will protect your very life. God will protect you on your journeys, whether going or coming, from now until forever from now. This psalm is part of a group of psalms that we call the Songs of Ascent. It includes Psalms 120 through 135. Many believe this, these would have been sung by the people of Israel as they journeyed and ascended to the temple in the city of Jerusalem. 
This was an annual pilgrimage which took place three times a year as prescribed by the Torah for different festivals. And they literally had to ascend and go up to get there because that's where Jerusalem was. It is one of the higher places in Israel, about 2,600 feet above sea level these days. Some scholars think this song may have been sung back and forth between people, kind of like our road trip song. Not exactly 99 bottles of beer on the wall, but you get the picture. For people in the ancient Near East, this would have helped the journey pass more quickly, as Emily mentioned, and also was a way of passing along the story of their people and the story of God's faithfulness. One of the really great things about the poetry of the Psalms is that the words feel pretty universal and very human. We can all relate to feeling anxious about the uncertainty of what's ahead, be it job insecurity or family events or health concerns, you name it. We wonder if things are going to turn out okay, if we're going to trip and fall on the way somehow. What if there's some trouble or danger that we run into and it overwhelms us? Where will our help come from? Before I came to the open table, I spent a year at Research Medical Center doing a residency as a hospital chaplain. My first night as a new chaplain doing an on-call, which was a 28-hour shift, we had a young child come into the ER who had died suddenly for reasons unknown, child under the age of five. Everyone, from the family to the staff, was in shock, asking those questions. Why? Where does our help come from when things like this happen? And I love the poetry for this, of the Psalms for this reason, because the Psalms make plenty of room for these kinds of questions. In moments when faith and doubt get woven together, when we're doing our best to trust God, but we still need some help with our unbelief. The Psalms give us permission to fail, to struggle, to question, and to be in community together. They give us permission to say, what does it mean that God will protect you? Because we can look back at times in our lives or lives of the people we love and say, that sure didn't look like protection. What's going on here, God? Especially in light of Memorial Day and other difficult times. Last year, there was an interesting conversation going on between Eugene Peterson, the translator of the Message version of the Bible, and Bono, which is the lead singer of the band U2. It started in 2002 when Bono sent a video message to Eugene saying how much he and his band had appreciated his translation of the Bible. The really entertaining thing is, is that Eugene Peterson had never heard of Bono. <laughs> So they figured that out, they got it sorted, and uh, they continued their conversation, which ended up on YouTube. When Bono visit, visited Peterson and his wife at their home in Montana. In the video, Bono discusses how much he appreciates the Psalms because of their brutal honesty. He asks, why do we need art, he says. Why do, why do we need the poetry of the Psalms? Because the only way we can approach God is if we're honest, through metaphor, through symbol. So art becomes essential not just decorative. Eugene Peterson shared that he remembered reading the Psalms as a 12-year-old and getting kind of confused because he'd been taught to take the Bible very literally. So when the psalmist started talking about God keeping tears in a bottle or God being a rock, <laughs> he couldn't quite put that together. But then he learned what a metaphor was and uh, how to read poetry. And the poetry of the Psalms eventually showed him that imagination was a way to get inside the truth. 
So similarly, when we're looking at Psalm 121, the phrase, I look to the mountains, could have described actual literal dangers that travelers would have, would have faced, like robbers or lack of resources on the road, something like that. But the mountains could also represent the helplessness of human experience. The words that follow are almost a call and response as though the travelers are singing back and forth to each other. One says, I look to the mountains. Where will my help come from? And the next voice says, my help comes from God, the maker of heaven and earth. When I did a little bit of digging into the phrase, the maker of heaven and earth, I learned something new. Um, the, the creation described here is a creatio continua, or a creation which is not just a one-time thing, but something God continues in. The idea being that God did not stop with the initial work of creation, but continues to create, sustain, and keep us today. The next couple of verses talk about both us as individuals and as God's people as a community. God cares about you. God cares about you. God cares about me. God cares about us. God cares so much that the psalmist used the word keep or protect six times in this one short psalm. And that's important because in Hebrew, whenever a word is repeated like that, it takes on more significance. There's a strong emphasis on the idea that God will protect and keep us and continue doing so. You may have noticed that the psalm also contains a series of opposites, heaven and earth, sun and moon, in and out, or going and coming in some translations. This use of opposites is a literary device. It's pretty common in Hebrew poetry. It works like this. When opposites are paired, they mean not just the two things by themselves, but everything in between. So it's kind of holistic. Not the same as when our culture tries to divide people into two categories and say, you're either this or you're that. It's more like when Jesus is saying later that he's the alpha and omega. It's not just that he's saying, I am the alpha, also I am the omega, and there's some people kind of filling in the in-between. It's more like he's saying, I am everything. I am the way, the truth, the life. So the phrase maker of heaven and earth, when we look at it, implies that God made everything in both of those places and the rest of the universe. And the statement about God being with you both when the sun and moon are out, it means that and every other time. The phrase about God being with you and your coming and your going does mean the beginnings and endings of your journeys, but also that tricky middle part. And when we get to the phrase, God will protect your life, it helps to learn that the word life can also be translated soul. And in Hebrew language and culture, there really wasn't a distinction between the two. Life and soul were seen as being unified, not separate. So God protects your life, God protects your soul. Both and. This psalm has a special meaning for my family. Um, in the mid-1990s, we found out that my grandma had terminal cancer. And it was devastating for me. Uh, she was one of my best friends and one of those rare people who make you feel welcome and loved, no strings attached. Um, I was born in Los Angeles, but when I was a kid, my parents moved to the Midwest. So for most of my life, we... Um, had gone back and forth to Los Angeles for holidays, and um, I could remember my family making those annual pilgrimages. 
not exactly over the river and through the woods, more than like uh, over the mountains and through the desert, but you get the idea. The journey and the destination both felt sacred. Throughout my grandmother's cancer experience, her faith was central. During that time, a practice arose between her and my mom, in which my mom would send her a portion of scripture every day for encouragement. When I told my mom I was preaching on this passage, she shared with me that it was one of the first ones she sent to my grandma during that time. I feel like my grandma gets this passage, that part about God being with your soul forever. If the Psalms remind us we are human, the Psalms of Ascent in particular remind us that we are all pilgrims. There's something about moving together in the direction of the sacred which helps us find what we're seeking. It helps us find who we are seeking, the God who is with us and who is able to help. We know pilgrimage isn't just something that happened in the Psalms. It has different meanings in different cultural and historical contexts, such as the Muslim pilgrimage to Mecca, which I know this congregation has studied recently, the Buddhist pilgrimage to Shikoku, or the Native American pilgrimage to the San Francisco peaks, and still others shown in the photos above. In Christianity, we can trace the spiritual practice of pilgrimage back to the fourth century with Helena, the mother of Emperor Constantine. But really, it started before then, with Jesus never really settling down. One author said, the gospels smell of the road. From the wise men coming to see Jesus, to Jesus coming to see the people on the road to Emmaus. Christianity is a literal movement. We're a people on the way, following the one who is the way. We're not called to be settled, but sojourners. John Dominic Crossan, in his book, Jesus, a Revolutionary Biography, wrote that for Jesus, the unsettledness he advocated led to a radical undermining of the social arrangements that supported power and privilege, and that his contemporaries sought to maintain by claiming divine sanction. Thus, Jesus' journey led finally to a cross, but the good news is that God was there too, keeping his life. And as we follow Jesus on the way, God is our keeper as well. There's that word keep again. To draw from the words of Martin Luther King Jr. in his I Have a Dream speech, our destiny and freedom are bound together. We cannot walk alone. Indeed, we find ourselves walking with many of God's children, our Syrian neighbor, our transgender neighbor, our opposing political party neighbor or neighbor of a different race. We walk with those we love and those Jesus has called us to love much to our chagrin. The God who resides in the city of Zion is also present with all humanity and all creation on the journey. Jesus, our Emmanuel, goes with us and can be found in the faces of the least of these, as the Gospel of Matthew attests, and as the open table has been studying recently. The poetry of pilgrimage expands beyond the text of the Psalms. It is in each of us as beloved children of God, in community with each other and the one who sustains us now and forever. Sometimes that looks like a lemonade stand with friends. In the movie The Way, Martin Sheen's character travels to France after the death of his son, who was killed while on pilgrimage in the Pyrenees Mountains during a storm. This well-known pilgrimage route is known as the Camino de Santiago, or the Way of St. James. Initially, the father is just going to France to recover the body, 
But something in him changes when he gets there. And he decides to go on the pilgrimage himself, scattering his son's ashes along the way in order to honor his memory. While on the Camino, he meets others who are on the same journey, just in different places, and eventually falls in with a group of three other pilgrims, each there for different reasons and each with their own kind of baggage. The poster for the movie states, life is too big to walk it alone. Many in our time still find Psalm 121 to be a source of meaning and comfort. It is often spoken as a blessing before travel, shared at funeral processions, offered as a sign of trust at baptisms and weddings. It even showed up in The Sound of Music as the Mother Abbas quotes it in encouraging Maria and her new family in in their escape over the Alps, saying, Remember, I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills from whence cometh my help. At the end of our text, in verse 8, the the psalmist promises that on our life's journeys, all of our arrivals and departures and everything in between are under God's care, God's keeping. The psalm is not about a one-time event or request for help, but a lifelong relationship and loving community with God and with one's neighbor. In the Christian walk, when people are seeking ways to deepen their relationship with God, many decide to incorporate spiritual practices to help them grow. So it usually starts with things like prayer and scripture reading, and then it expands to include other things like fasting, service, and Sabbath keeping. And pilgrimage is another kind of spiritual practice, which links us and God together in a way that is both dynamic and rooted. In an age when people are desperately seeking stability and also the ability to deal with rapid change, pilgrimage has much to offer. Most traditions seem to agree on the idea of pilgrimage being a type of travel that is sacred, an outer manifestation of an inner journey, and an allegory of our soul's journey to God. The actions taken by pilgrims on the journey look pretty similar across the board. To go on pilgrimage often means some kind of separation from one's everyday world. It may mean wearing certain symbols or clothing to denote oneself as a sacred traveler. There are also a few common themes. If you read stories about people on pilgrimages, some of the familiar refrains are things like, you find food and rest when you need it. You meet at a crossroad, someone who knows the way. And someone will hear your footsteps coming from afar, and as you approach the threshold, welcome you with open arms into refuge and shelter. There's a documentary series called Sacred Journeys, which is hosted by Bruce Feiler, the author and presenter of the Walking the Bible series. It features holy sites all around the world and the people who go to them, telling their stories. There's an episode about the site of Lourdes in France, which describes this place where a young peasant shepherdess saw a vision of Mary in the mid-1800s, and then whereafter many believed the spring waters to have healing properties. Every year, soldiers from around 35 countries go on pilgrimage to this place where they feel accepted for who they are and what they've done. When the documentary was filmed in 2014, over 500 U.S. soldiers made the pilgrimage. Many of them had been injured and struggled with disabilities. They were going to look for physical and spiritual healing, but also just for encouragement. 
Bruce Feiler describes the final leg of the pilgrimage, which is a walk by candlelight to the shrine. He describes it as being the most communal part of it. He comments that pilgrimages are never easy. They are a sacred journey. And a sacred journey is leaving what you know behind and heading into the unknown, allowing yourself to be open so that you can discover something new. After mass is over for the evening in Lourdes, the soldiers flood into town to drink and to play together. Every branch of the service gathers from countries all around the world. One man said, we've all been fighting each other and now we're drinking beer together. The camaraderie makes it easier to express your faith and doubts. Sounds like good news to me. <laughs>